This is Clothes Making Mavens, a sewing podcast about handmade fashion. Hey there, it's Lori from frivolousatlast.com. Helena and I have a great interview for you on this episode with Shannon. You might know Shannon from her blog, A Rare Device, her Instagram account where you'll see beautiful pictures of her incredible makes and also just really well thought out photography and, and thematic artistic elements throughout. You might also be familiar with her through the Instagram account So Queer and the hashtag So Queer. We'll speak to Shannon about all of those things as well as a blog post she wrote entitled What I Want Pattern Companies to Know About Their Fat Queer Customers. Lots of really interesting discussion about that, so stay tuned. But before we get to that, Francie called in to let us know her thoughts on our episode entitled Sew with the Flow, where we discussed sewing for your period. Here's what she had to say. Hi, my name is Francie. I'm uh, from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I just stumbled upon your podcast today and started right out with the Sew with the Flow episode. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for having that topic shared. Um, I myself have had a hysterectomy after my second child. So I just have never, haven't thought about it in so many years, but my daughter is going to be 10 soon. And I can tell that the big change is coming right around the corner. And I kept trying to remind myself I needed to get back into that mindset of having things prepared and what should I do to make sure it's a good transition for her. And After listening to that podcast, I'm really excited to kind of put together a Aunt Flo hope test for her of, you know, a hot water bottle with a cover that she likes and making her some special underwear that will hopefully save her the embarrassment that so many of us had when you started and bled through your pants at school. Um, And just kind of making a, a gift to her to make it special. So I really appreciate that you guys had that and have all the resources for that. Thanks. Thank you so much for letting us know your thoughts, Francie. We really appreciate it. And if you ever have some comments you'd like to leave for Clothes Making Mavens, please feel free to do so. Visit our website at clothesmakingmavens.com where you will find options for recording a voice message through your computer or phoning us or leaving us a comment or sending us an email, perhaps a homing pigeon, any way you'd like to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Now, on to our interview with Shannon from A Rare Device. Hi, Shannon. Hi. <laughs> so nice to see you here and meet you in person. So nice to be here. Right. Yeah, thanks. Um, Helena and I are just really excited to talk to you because uh, we're both big fans of your blog and the topics that you write about. So, yeah. And your hashtag, too. Yeah. So just as some background for people who maybe don't follow you, do you want to introduce yourself and talk about who you are and what you do? Sure, of course. So I'm Shannon, um, also known as Rare Device on Instagram. Um, I'm an art historian. I sew a lot of my own clothes and I like to sew uh, things that suit my gender identity, which tends to um, swing between different kinds of presentations. And I also uh, started the Sew Queer uh, account on Instagram, which is a community for queer and trans sewists to come together, meet each other, have conversations. Right. So, so in a sense, would you call yourself an activist in the sewing community? 
I think so, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you engendered lots of really interesting discussions and a lot of uh, reflection on the part of other sewists who read what you write. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, your blog, Rare Device, but is it with a rare device or is that a phrase that it comes from? Where does that name come from? Oh, yeah. The With a Rare Device is the name of my blog. It comes from um, a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay. And so it's just a fragment from a poem. Nice. Yeah. I had a feeling it was part of a quote or something. Yeah. What, what's the poem about? Um, it's about sort of um, thinking about the past and thinking about the past th- through clothing in a way. Um, so the whole quote is, um, weave me a gown with a rare device, I think. I, I can't quote it off the top Ooh. of my head now because I didn't think about it. But <laughs> Oh, that sounds really yeah. fascinating. I love yeah. it. What a great idea. I know, it does. Yeah. So Helena, do you want to ask the next question? I'm going to be prompting Helena today because she has been up all night sewing because today, the day we're recording, is the deadline for like, is this the final round of the sewing bee, Helena? Yeah, it's the final round. Oh, right. So, uh, yeah. So not only is this the final day, the final round, but we've been doing this for four weeks, right? We get little breathers in between. But this last round, she started early. Like she had said we were going to have four days off and then she actually started it early which was good because I was raring to go but then I got into the um into the weekend and I was like but I need a weekend you know (laughs) (laughs) right it was a long weekend too right yeah yeah so it spilled into the weekend and then I've been up all night so I'm like a little punch drunk I guess (laughs) (laughs) I went for a run this morning hoping it would wake me up and I didn't know I could sleep during a run that's just a new (laughs) skill that I have so that's exciting amazing I just discovered that yeah (laughs) (laughs) poor Helena so all right so I'll prompt you when it's time to ask a question (laughs) okay good (laughs) goodies Um, we wanted to ask about the art historian aspect of your blog. Definitely the the quotes and the poems are probably a reflection of that part of your of your that's your um day job. Are you a professor? Are you So I'm in my last year of my PhD. I should be graduating uh. this summer. Um and I'd really like to teach, so that's the the track I'm on, hopefully. Uh-huh. Um and yeah, I think that one of the things that that kind of training brings to my sewing is that uh, because I'm an art historian and I particularly look at contemporary art, so I'm really interested in the way meaning accumulates over time in the kind of visual things that we create and that we see in the world. So the way uh, a particular symbol or a material or um, a theme might build meaning over time as it's repeated and used again. And so that happens in art, of course, like people make reference to um, things that have come before them. Um, Whenever an artist is using a material, they're using a material um, and thinking about the way it's been used in the past um, and what meaning that has. Um, And I think that's also true of clothing and of gender, the way the way we understand what clothing means and what gender means is also about this accumulation over the repetition of the same symbols over their like slight differentiation as different people use them. And so I like kind of bringing all of those things together and thinking about um, the way a particular fabric or a silhouette or a, a kind of garment might have this history that I can draw on, but also kind of change and make my own. Mm, so fascinating. And, you know, yeah. it was interesting when I found out that you were an art historian because I thought, okay, that makes sense after mm. seeing, you know, uh, 
amazing photos on your blog. I mean, some of them look like you just stepped out of the pages of a historical novel or a fairy tale. Yeah. Um, and so actually, I want to talk about some of the, the absolute beauties that I've seen on mm-hmm. your blog. Where, where to start? So maybe starting with the, um, uh, you sewed a beautiful black mesh floral embroidered dress which you wore over top of, you know, a bra and underwear or perhaps a bathing suit, and you were standing in a lake like you were a forest fairy <laughs> emerging the lake, from the... It was just... Wow. So t- tell us about that. Was Is that a, sort of a, a an intersection of the art history and, and your sewing, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was very, like, Pre-Raphaelite-inspired, mm-hmm. sort of this, like, late 19th century... Um, movement that's like all about this medieval glamour and thinking about literature, thinking about like uh, nature and bringing nature into um, into painting. Um, I had bought the the fabric on a whim because I kept seeing it around. And I'm sure people have seen this this embroidered mesh fabric around, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to make with it, but I didn't have like an occasion, and I was like, let's just make an occasion and. Um, the location, uh, that we took the photos is actually my partner's family's cabin. And it's like right on this beautiful little river that was just like perfectly idyllic. And we made flower crowns and it was wonderful. Oh, it's so amazing. And then there was, uh, the, the green dress. What, which dress was that? Was it a particular pattern that you sewed? The green dress where you took pictures in a snowstorm. I mean, (laughs) I I feel like I've gone to some length sometimes to get photos, but that was, you know, I think you deserve a medal for... I mean, it was yeah. beautiful with the snow blowing Dedication. in front of you. And... Yeah, that one is the... I'm sorry, my dog is interrupting me. Um, that pattern is a call-up pattern. Okay, I got it. It's the call-up Ceylon. Yeah. Oh, the um, C-E-Y-L-O-N. Yeah? Is that how you say it? Is it I don't know. It? I don't know. I was wondering. They, they had a bunch of patterns that they all named after different types of tea. Being yeah. the tea aficionada that I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it Ceylon then? Yeah. Ceylon? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So tell us about the green Ceylon dress and the snowstorm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the pattern is the Colette Ceylon that I uh, modified to have these sort of long, like, bishop sleeves with a long cuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it was like a dress that I'd kind of been dreaming about. And then everything sort of came together when I found these little Medusa head buttons and this green wool crepe, um, both at kind of like local fabric institutions here in the Twin Cities. And I made it and I was really excited about it. And I was thinking about, you know, I can try and get pictures. It was probably early April when I finished it. And then we had like an early April blizzard, actually. It was just like so much snow. And the dress was just finished. I just finished it like a day or two before that. And I was like, I, I have to try. I have to try and see what pictures would look like with this like intense blowing snow um because I liked the sort of like I don't know gothic governess vibe of the dress and I wanted to kind of bring that all together as though I were in like a gothic novel and it was like pure luck that I managed to get some because I was freezing and I couldn't (laughs) see my camera and I was just sort of like blindly pointing my um my remote at it and trying to get something oh my goodness oh you do it with a remote Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do it with a with a tripod and a remote if I'm by myself. Yeah. Wow. And those yeah. are that that's amazing. And you know what? I think we just should yeah. give you honorary Canadian citizenship. You Minnesotans <laughs> are are pretty much Canadian and I think with the um, dress in a snowstorm shoot, we'll just yeah. we'll just send you your passport. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. 
So are there any other makes that uh, that you've done that, that you feel have a heavy influence with your knowledge of art history? And have you, where have you brought in those uh, influences and in other makes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um, one of the other ones that stands out is the pink wrap dress that I made this summer, which was uh, a long process because I actually hand dyed all the fabric that I used for it. So it's a... Um, a Vogue pattern and it's a wrap dress with like flutter sleeves and this sort of um, curved hem skirt. But I wanted to make the skirt with multiple layers so that like as they kind of opened up and peeled away, you would see different layers underneath it. So I hand dyed like 10 yards of um, rayon um, wall, I think, in a gradation of pink. So it goes from lighter pink to darker pink as the skirt kind of opens up. Wow. And I was really influenced by um, Janelle Monae's uh, video for her song Pink, where she wears these pants that are made to look like a vulva. Yes, yes. All hail Janelle (laughs) Monae. Right? She's so amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and thinking about that and thinking about, like, the use of kind of, like, flower slash vulva imagery in, um, in art was a big influence. And I just wanted that kind of, like, fluttery sort of pink unfurling with this dress. And, um, with that one, we, we took pictures on, like, a cliffside up on Lake Superior. So it kind of got some drama as well. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm picturing you climbing the cliffside. Okay, we're going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite so dramatic, but yes, we'll go with that. <laughs> and does your partner Morgan take pictures? for you sometimes when you say we was that you and and Morgan yeah so Morgan does take pictures for me sometimes we um they live in Michigan so we only see each other every couple months and usually when we get together we have planned some kind of dramatic uh photo shoot to happen so there's usually one about every visit um and they get to be art director and photographer and sometimes also pose with me but not as much so um, yeah they're kind of my like co-creator amazing and and well, you nice you um sewed well I thought this was so sweet your secret message shirts that you sewed oh, yeah. a Cali shirt dress that. for yourself and for Morgan what was it it was um Negroni, it's a call it Negroni it? yeah yeah, and and so tell us a little bit about the secret message shirts I mean anyone who's ever you know sewn or knit a garment for someone they love knows how much of an act of love and generosity it is to do that. So tell us about those, those sweet shirts, which I just loved. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I've made quite a few shirts for them at this point and it's, it's an act of love and it's very much, um, an act of kind of recognizing, um, when you are trans or gender nonconforming, they identify as trans non-binary, um, it can be hard to find clothes that fit off the rack and that fit your body the way you want them to. And so I started from the call it Negroni pattern, but then customized it to their body and have made a couple of different shirts. And I love to put like a little embroidered message on the inside for them. So it varies what it is, but there's usually some sort of little secret message. And then it's also a great way to use up scraps by using a scrap from something I've made for myself and putting that on the inside yoke or the inside cuffs for them, or by using leftovers from one of their shirts and using that as bias tape or cuffs or a collar for one of my, my, um, outfits. So they kind of become these sort of shared garments in a way. Oh, I love that whole concept. Just even, you know, just putting a little binding of some leftover of, of an mm-hmm. item of clothing you wear. It seems like that really kind of you know, makes a real connection in a sense. When you wear it, I'm sure you look at that binding or whatever it is and go and think of Morgan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you said uh, there were some challenges in fitting them. 
do you want to go into detail about like what are the challenges of fitting queer and trans you can't find things that fit them exactly what are you referring to? Okay, so obviously that's going to vary depending on um, your identity and what your body type is. But, but basically what I mean is what it's like to have an identity that doesn't necessarily accord with um, the shape of your body at according to kind of the gender you were assigned at birth. So um, for me, sometimes that means that um, if I want to wear something that's slightly more on the masculine side of things, um, tailoring that to fit my body because I have breasts and I have really full hips um, and because I'm fat means that I'm doing a lot more adjustments to that than just than I would be able to find all the rack, certainly, and more adjustments than maybe even just grading between sizes. Um, and for Morgan, who identifies as non-binary, they have had top surgery, so they have a flat chest and they have pretty uh, full hips. So this means kind of grading between sizes, getting something that fits them really nicely in the shoulders, but also kind of fits throughout their body and doesn't strain anywhere on the buttons. Um, means just kind of tweaking the pattern a lot to get it where it needs to be. Um, and at this point, I've made enough things for them that I can usually do it pretty easily without having to fit things on their body too much because I've, I've done it a number of times. So, yeah, I saw how you um, changed the up the vest of the, your your dandy outfit mm-hmm. so that it was it was menswear inspired kind of and you use did you use a menswear pattern for that? And then that's how you so you had to do quite mm-hmm. a bit of adjustment for yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. tell us about the dandy outfit. <laughs> I know that whole yeah. outfit was amazing, but I love the adjustments you made really, it fit you, but it didn't change the spirit of that vest mm-hmm. into something that's feminine, really, it really kept the spirit of this yeah, masculine look, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. So um, that vest is, a, it's a menswear pattern. It's one of the better at, um, like, historical inspired patterns. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's, I think, kind of intended for costuming, which that is sort of a costume, but also just sort of something I would wear. Um, what did you refer to the outfit as? Sorry to interrupt, but oh. it was like dandy hobbit knickerbocker oh, outfit or something like that. that. <laughs> I think I called it gentleman hobbits. Gentleman so, hobbit, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because totally. it has this real like kind of earthy feeling to it with these these earth tones, um, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like hobbits wear knickerbockers. They're always wearing their kind of like cropped pants. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems like well, everyone should wear knickerbockers. I love them. They're I love great. I love the silhouette it gives. I think it's really cool. Yeah. It's like a culotte, except not like it's it emphasizes the pant part of it. Yeah, yeah, kind of they go down to they go down to just below the knee and have mm-hmm. a sort of cuff around the knee. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to pull them in. And I feel yeah. like I had a pair of knickerbockers when I was in public school in the seventies. <gasps> yeah. This is my first pair and I've like I've always loved them. Um, but yeah, I love that such a great outfit. I love that kind of like volume that they have, that they're not like mm-hmm. a really slim tailored pants, but they have like the ones that I made have two really big pleats in the front on either side. Mm-hmm. And it gives them this like really voluminous um, shape to them, which works for my body, but also works for the garment. So it it maintains the spirit of the garment but fits my body really well, which isn't necessarily true of some menswear. There's if I'm looking at like a really slim cut suit that's not going to look the same on my body and um sometimes that's frustrating sometimes you know I deal with it but grabbing outfits or grabbing garments that actually suit my body and without changing kind of the the nature of the of the garment itself um feels really good like I really like that I can kind of bring that into being 
Mm. Yeah. So that vest, did you, it was a menswear um, pattern, but you somehow got your ample bosoms in there. So you must have had to do some, because it wasn't like it had princess seams, like, which would be so helpful in in fitting that kind of thing. So you must have done some some manipulation. Very I impressive. Did. Yeah. Yeah. So that, um, it's a vest and it has two, um, vertical darts in the front and, Oh, it did. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it does have those, but it was definitely like not going to fit me straight from the pattern. That was, there was going to be straining in places and it was just not going to work. Um, and so I ended up doing a full bust adjustment and then rotating out the side dart because I didn't want to add an additional dart to it and kind of having to, massage the um the arm size so that it wasn't wildly disproportionate because you do kind of end up with weird armholes when you do that Mm -hmm. much manipulation sometimes so it was it was trial and error but what I was trying to do was definitely to get something that could kind of encompass my whole body so that we're not like straining anywhere we're not we don't have really big um gaping in the in the arms Um, but that I could also wear with different undergarments. So I could wear with a bra or with a binder that, that flattens my chest because I like to be able to kind of reach for either of those, depending on how I feel about my gender on any given day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so having a garment where I can wear it with either and it will still fit and it will still button close and I'll still feel good in it, um, feels like a really good thing. Like that, that feels really affirming and really good. Nice. Can we talk a little bit more about the concept of gender nonconformity? And even what that means. I mean, this might be a, a term that perhaps some listeners have not even heard before. So could you explain what that means? Yeah. So um, it, it sort of broadly encompasses a lot of different ways of um, identifying or of kind of expressing or embodying your gender. So for some folks um, under that umbrella, that might literally mean that you are trans or that you don't identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth. For other folks, uh, it might mean that you um, identify with the gender you were assigned at birth, but you don't um, identify with the clothing necessarily that uh, that go along with that broadly. So that might mean um, that you identify firmly as a woman, but you really like to dress in menswear or you dre- or you identify as kind of butch in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I kind of identify as genderqueer, which kind of is a fluid, a way of kind of like moving fluidly between feeling very firmly rooted in womanhood and kind of maybe also feeling kind of other things as well, feeling kind of Mm -hmm. other directions in my gender as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really... I love the the, um, the phrase gender non-conforming. It's that, it's that word conforming because really if we think about gender, we do all in some sense conform. There are expectations that are put on. You know, really good friends of mine just had a baby, right? And the first question you want to know is what – is it a boy or is it a girl? Yeah. And as soon as you know, society starts to dump – all kinds yeah. of expectations on that, right? Oh, if it's a boy, then we need to bring blue clothes. And if it's a girl, we need to bring pink clothes. Um, you know, if it's if it's a girl, we'll probably dress her in dresses and we'll put, you know, bows around her head and, and that sort of thing. So, so there is a conformity that happens um, uh, that many of us just maybe aren't even aware of because that's just how things are. So I like the concept of not conforming to the expectation of, uh, you know, gender... There's, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the scholar Judith Butler, who talks about gender as a performance, 
Yeah. Right. And so every day we're performing, every day that we put on clothes, whether we're thinking about our gender or not, is it's a performance, isn't it? You know, we choose mm-hmm. clothes to represent how we feel, how we want people to identify with us, how how we want people to relate to us. It's it's a constant performance of putting on clothing and and gender is in fact also a performance, right? And we can choose to conform to the expectations of that performance or, you know, there may be reasons mm-hmm. why we don't want to, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that um, that Judith Butler says that actually like uh, resonates with me pretty deeply and resonates with the way I do my sewing is that those meanings aren't necessarily fixed, but they do carry weight. So there's this way in which um, we can recognize that gendered garments change over time, right? That like what looks like a skirt to us now might have looked like a masculine or a male garment in the past, or that like men wore high heels first and then women wore them, like that mm-hmm. things change throughout time. But in their time, in kind of a particular context, they do carry weight and it can be difficult to move against them. It can be um, sometimes even punished if you go against them. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely there can be ways that we kind of negotiate that within a particular context and eventually kind of maybe make new meanings out of it. If it's done enough, it's, if it's repeated enough by enough people and sort of accepted. So there's that, there's a way in which it feels like we, we have to recognize the difficulty and recognize the fact that there's real danger out there to be Mm non-conforming, but we can also recognize the real um, possibilities in um, what it means to kind of create new meaning. That seems like a really good time to segue into talking about the uh, blog post you wrote just recently uh, that was entitled, What I Want Pattern Companies to Know About Their Fat Queer Customers. Um, And if I may, I'd like to just read a portion of the preface you wrote for it when you posted the link to it on Instagram. So here it goes. My fellow fats, my fellow queers, my fellow gender nonconforming delights, This post is written out of love for the work we continually do to simply be seen, for our refusal to assimilate to norms that do us violence, for our constant demands that the sewing community live up to its promise to craft a better world. I write from the intersection of fat, queer, gender nonconforming, because that is the space I inhabit. But this conversation does and must continue in multiple directions to address the marginalizations of ableism, racism, classism, and ageism. I send out thanks to my friends who work in those directions and my intentions to do better at showing up to those conversations. Friends, I see you. Your bodies are not a problem. Your bodies do not need forgiving. Your bodies deserve more. I kind of have a little oh gosh, bit of I a, teared up. Right, I know. Oh. I know. I'm, I, I got goosebumps. That's really just powerful. Reading, yeah, that was, I mean, what a, what a powerful post that was. And that was just the preface to the article, to the letter that <laughs> yeah, you wrote. Yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit. Shannon, can you tell us about, uh, can we dig in a little bit to what you wrote in that post and, and why you felt it was necessary to, to write that, that sort of open letter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually that blog post had been sort of on my mind for maybe a year or more before that. It was, I had thought about writing a post in that spirit around the same time that I was starting So Queer and uh, my attention sort of went towards So Queer rather than the post itself. But when this conversation started happening, this time at least I should say, in the sewing community around sizing inclusion and around um, pattern companies choosing to uh, include certain sizes or not, 
um, it felt like a really necessary time because one of the things that was coming up in that conversation that had happened before but hadn't really happened on the scale that happened really uh, in this past month um, was a consideration of the way um, fat bodies particularly are talked about when it comes to pattern grading, when it comes to advertising patterns, um, when it comes to even just designing clothing or, or patterns, which is that there's this sort of um, sometimes subtext, sometimes not subtext, that yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not subtext at all. Straight up. <laughs> um, straight up. That like fat bodies are more difficult, that they won't look good in certain designs, that um, they're not worth it to design for, that we're not really worth it as a, um, a viable consumer base. And, um, and sometimes people don't necessarily mean those things when they speak the way they do, but that's the underlying message when, um, when someone says something like, um, plus sizes are just more difficult to grade for rather than saying something like, um, plus sizes require a different set of skills to grade for, which Mm -hmm. is what the actual truth is. Um, and I saw a lot of uh, folks in participating in this conversation not realizing um, how hurtful their words were and um, how those of us who were responding to them were working really hard to measure our words and not respond with the anger that we were feeling. And so it felt kind of, I, I, I was thinking again about this blog post I was thinking of writing at this sort of intersection of identity that I inhabit um, to articulate why it's not just important that the sewing community as a whole sort of opens up to let everyone in, but that the sewing community as a whole opens up and really listens to what other folks have to say and changes accordingly. It's not that we necessarily should just take all of the norms that we already have and say, oh yes, of course we include everyone, but to actually examine some of the norms that we accept as usual and recognize the ways that they actually exclude people. Um, and so it felt very incumbent to, it felt very necessary for me to kind of put down in words, um, that reality, but to do so in a way that also articulated on the one hand, the real anger and frustration that I was feeling and that I know a lot of my colleagues and my, my friends were feeling. And also the real like love that I have for the people that I see out there who are doing this work every day, both for themselves and their own bodies, but also for kind of the community as a whole, um, the real like love that I have for the amazing things that all of the um, queer sewists that I feature on So Queer and that I see in the tag are doing to create things that fit their own bodies. And like, obviously, like my own friends and my own loved ones and the real work that we all do to um, not just like love ourselves, but to actually really show the world the ways that we are experiencing our bodies, the ways that we understand our genders. Um and the ways that we kind of want to be recognized in the world. It's really hard work. And so I wanted to kind of put some of my love out there in the world as well. Can you talk about some of the ways that the assumptions within the sewing community, uh, which people may not even recognize as assumptions, how how do those assumptions work to exclude or, or create barriers to people who don't share the same set of experiences and, and backgrounds and life situations? Yeah. So I think um, a really easy one is uh, the way um, most folks, when they're talking to the sewing community broadly, uh, sort of assume that all of us here in the sewing community are women and are cisgender women and are heterosexual women. 
And so we and see sorry, a lot may of... May I interrupt just for a moment to explain cisgendered? Because I think that's oh, a term sure. that perhaps other people may not have, have heard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So cisgender just means that you um, identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth. So you were assigned a girl gender at birth and you identify as a woman now. Okay. So it's kind of the um, opposite of being transgendered. Is that, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Great. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Proceed. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can see this in just like tiny things like uh, greeting everyone as ladies mm-hmm. in a community space, which like mm-hmm. we're not all ladies. We don't need to use that word. Also, um, I hate the word ladies. I don't know I what it is. I hate the word smarmy. <laughs> yeah, it does feel smarmy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I dislike it. Um, <laughs> um, talking about menswear as though like you, the woman, are creating something for your man, and that's the only way that one can identify with menswear. Um, I mean, even just sort of uh, the strict segregation of men's patterns versus women's patterns when certainly like people of any gender can wear any garment. And there are lots of ways we could uh, work to kind of um, deconstruct those categories. Um, Yeah. And I'm thinking of like when it comes to, I don't know, things like size inclusion, um, posts or comments that say things like, oh, anybody can make like an Ogden cami out of one yard mm. of fabric. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. that's not that uh, a cami isn't a stash buster for me. Like I need to have like an actual dedicated amount of fabric in order to make something that will fit my body. And so um, there's a lot of ways there are like norms that are reproduced around what size um, everyone is assumed to be that aren't really true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really true. In the, the the letter you wrote, one of the headings you have is "We gave you body positivity." Tell, mm-hmm. tell us what that what that means. Yeah. So um, body positivity, as we know it today, it started in fat spaces, and it started particularly with fat women of color. And so it was not just a movement to kind of love your own body, but a movement to change the things in this world that dramatically and materially harm people who inhabit fat bodies. So things like um, discrimination at the doctors, just to give you like one very widespread and very damaging example, which uh, in which which means that folks who live in fat bodies might not actually get the medical care that they need because doctors just assume that every problem is because we're fat. So you go to the doctor and the doctor will literally refuse you treatment unless you lose weight. And people die from this. This is like actually life-threatening. So body positivity was started to address those systemic problems and to address the the fact that um, those systemic problems have real material harm to uh, to folks who aren't getting jobs at the same rate. Uh, fat people are paid less. Um, obviously, things like um, access in public spaces public spaces that may or may not have uh, chairs that are sturdy enough to um, to accommodate fat bodies, things like that. They're really uh, intended to address those kinds of systemic problems. And along with that, to recognize that all bodies are worthwhile, all bodies are valued, all bodies have value because we are human. And just the basic fact of being human means that we have value and that we should be valued in society. Um, And it's kind of disseminated from there. And so most of the time when we encounter body positivity these days, it's a little bit more kind of watered down, a little more diffuse than that. 
um, where it's very much uh, has turned to kind of loving your own body in some ways, which is part of it. Like there is sort of this way in which um, it's a good and worthwhile thing to not hate your own body. (laughs) Absolutely. But one of the points that I wanted to make there was that if you've encountered body positivity in some way and it has felt good to you, you owe kind of fat activists something for that because they're the ones who started it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about language around fat bodies? So mm-hmm. you use the term fat. Mm-hmm. I, I recall a moment maybe, I don't know, a few years ago, I was at my sister-in-law's house and I was uh, reading a book to her very young daughter. And, you know, I referred to the fat man in the picture and my sister-in-law, oh, you know, we don't use that word here. And I thought, oh, okay. And, and so fat. I mean, we could do an entire, not only an entire podcast, but an entire book, an entire book series, an entire, you know, PhD dissertation on just the connotations of that word. Mm -hmm. There are so many negative connotations around that. Uh, You choose to use it. Why do you choose to use that word? And are there other words that we should ensure we have in our vocabulary and other words that we should ensure we're not incorporating into our vocabulary around that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely choose to use it myself because I think that it um, is the best descriptor of what my body actually is rather than the way it's sort of understood in the world. And so people, um, some people might feel more comfortable with like plus size, and I understand why you might feel more comfortable with that. But for me, that sort of describes my body according to the terms of clothing manufacture, Mm -hmm. which isn't actually a truth about my body. That's a truth about like the world and the way it decides to break up sizing. Right. It's also sort of a standard, like there's, it it presupposes a standard of here's normal sizes, so-called air quote, Mm -hmm. normal sizes. And if you're not a normal size, then you are then plus sized. And I think I read a a statistic somewhere that something like 70% of American women wear a size 16 or more. And I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's the, the, the place where we start getting into so-called plus sizes. So, so how does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, like you say, we could do entire episodes on (laughs) uh, those, (laughs) those standards that have been set up that don't, that didn't really make sense when they were created and certainly don't make sense now. So there are, um, there's a lot of work to be done. But thinking about the word fat, I think that um, using it in non-judgmental and very frank terms is really necessary because if we continue to kind of use sort of coded words like curvy or fluffy or chubby or what have you, those those kind of that those euphemisms sort of act like the fact of our body is something we need to tiptoe around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think it is. I think that there's just truths to what our bodies are and how they're composed. And just being frank about that is a really useful and good thing. So I think it's very good to um, try to remove fat from your vocabulary as an insult or as a bad thing or as a negative connotation. So saying something like, oh, I feel really fat today because I ate a lot of food or I'm bloated or whatever. Like, please don't do that. That's not a great way to um, to use that word. Um, because you can't really feel fat. You can feel bloated or you can feel uncomfortable, but, um, you either are fat or you aren't. I mean, that's just, it's like a state of being, it's not like a feeling or an emotion. So I'd like to kind Mm. of, um, use it in that sort of frank way. Mm. Yeah. That's a good distinction too. Um, so it's more like a, a circumstance that you can just state as a fact that, yeah. Yeah, and that we can take, we can strip away the the connotations and emotions of it. 
Because, yeah, there are, I mean, there are so many, I mean, and you, you go into this a little bit in your article, like the connotations and even the very first thing you told us about being, um, the art historian, how that relates to being, uh, the, the way that the, the clothes carry the, carry the, um, connotations. I'm so sorry. I'm losing my words today, you guys. <laughs> we I forgive really you, Helena. You've been up all night so sewing. Well. That's a really good reason to not have any words. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be in this so much, but I'm like losing my, um, but it's, it's the same kind of thing. Like we just, it, it piles on these connotations and piles on and it, it's different for every person. So if we could step back from those, those euphemisms, do you think that we can peel back the layers of these connotations that we have? You think that if we kind of get it into the, the lexicon, then it won't be, but how do you feel about like, smaller people saying the word fat is it mm-hmm. I think, you know what I mean yeah 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 I think that um I think we can peel away those connotations but it takes uh time and it takes work and it takes repetition yeah. right so it a takes lo- a lot of a lot of too. people yeah. yeah it takes a lot of people using the word in frank ways it takes a lot of people writing articles about why we should be doing that it takes people reading that and changing their vocabulary um for that kind of gradual change to be made but that can happen that's happened with words uh, many times in the past that we've sort of realized either we shouldn't be using it all because they're offensive or that are used in one way and we, you know, start using them in a different way. Yeah, that's, that's how language works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to kind of referring to um, uh, a person or a community that's different from you, so if you are not fat and what, what, what words you should be using, I think if somebody says I'm a fat person and that's how I want you to refer to me, like, absolutely, you should use that. You should respect Um, their wishes. And if they don't say that, if they refer to themselves as plus size, you can follow their lead and, uh, and refer to them that way. Um, And I think that everybody has sort of mixed feelings on uh, the word for the community, and it might shift depending on what space you're in. So um, for instance, when I write for the Curvy Sewing Collective, they have curvy right there in their title, which is not my favorite word, but it's the word that they've kind of used to um, try to embrace as wide an audience as possible. And so I follow their lead and kind of use the vocabulary that they've set up there in that space uh, when I write for them. But like in my own space, I would prefer to use the word fat to describe a, a community of people, the fat community. Um and that can encompass anybody who is fat and feels like that word also describes them. If you're fat and you feel like that word doesn't describe you, then you don't have to be part of that community. Yeah. Well, I just meant as far as like if you wanted to um, to strip that that word from with the connotation, then but then do you have thin people saying that word? You know what I mean? Like if everyone was just saying that and that was a fact and we could just all agree that that was just something that we could all say – that's fine, but it seems like we got a ways to go before we can do that. And as yeah. much as I'd love to be an activist for that, I don't think that calling people fat would probably be a good way for me to go. You know, so mm-hmm. that's just like helpful for the the listeners, like how they can um, not get involved. Like that's <laughs> they're signing up with theirs, you know. But but to be sensitive and and we're all trying to learn as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, there are probably a few ways that you can approach that. And one is sort of uh, definitely following the lead of somebody if yeah. uh, and how they self-identify. Certainly, obviously do that. If it's somebody who um, you don't necessarily know how they self-identify, 
I think you can err on the side of maybe being a little conservative and using words like plus size. I think that that's fair. That maybe will make everyone feel comfortable. But also, I don't really super have a problem with folks like if you're describing somebody and you're saying, oh, yes, no, I met this person and I need to describe what she looks like. And you use the word fat because that person is fat. Like that doesn't feel like a problem to me. That feels like you've done you've used a neutral description for that person. And um, particularly if you're a person who has like contact with children, if you have kids of your own or you're a teacher or what have you, using it in really frank ways, um, interrupting when it's used as an insult and um, and kind of reminding everyone that it's not a bad thing to be fat. That's not something to use as an insult and using it just as a frank description in the same way you would um, if somebody is thin or if somebody has brown hair or what have you. I think that goes a long way towards normalizing it. Yeah. And I just want to give a shout out to um, actually a former student of mine who uh, has a podcast called Word Bomb, and they actually Mm -hmm. devote an entire episode to the word fat and and deconstructing what it means and all of the social connotations. And so if anybody's interested in in digging further into that, I'd I'd recommend the podcast Word Bomb and that particular episode. Um, You do mention in, in the article as well, you know, we've been talking for a while about it now, but how much language really matters. Um, And you also mentioned words like slimming, flattering, forgiving, and how, like, you're very frank in this article. It's basically F you to those words, right? Like, we don't need those words in our language. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, okay, those are such common words to um, use in like pattern descriptions, especially I see them a lot, you'll say like, Oh, it has like a slimming tummy panel. And the reason I have a problem with them is that it's assuming something about the way we feel about our bodies. It's assuming that we feel bad about particular body parts and that we want to hide them. And I don't want any pattern designer out there to make assumptions about how I feel about my body. Only I get to decide how I feel about my body. No one else. And um, that assumption particularly troubles me because the assumption is that we should all strive to look skinnier. And there's absolutely no reason why we should all strive to look skinnier. That is an offensive uh, thing that is ridiculous because for those of us who are fat, like we're always going to be fat. I'm not going to ever not look fat. So that just is um, not something I'm interested in striving for. And those words are kind of insidious because they um, they operate in ways where it kind of um, is very subtle the the sort of fat shaming aspect to them but it's there and when we see them repeated over and over when we see something like oh this has like a forgiving waistband my body doesn't need to be forgiven oh that one's a bad one forgiven yeah because it does your your body is a sin is what it's saying Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And there's nothing about that that needs to be forgiven. You can easily use another word. You could use like, oh, this waistband is accommodating. It uh, will accommodate size fluctuations. Like there's there's so many other words you can use that don't have these very specific connotations around um, fatness equaling like something negative. Yeah, problem. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you for helping to enlighten us about all of those things. One other thing you do mention in the article uh, is that you say, we expect better. We expect pattern companies, the online sewing community, and you even specifically mention podcasts, podcasts that exclude queer voices. How can we do better? Tell us how Close Making Mavens can do better in this space. I think that... um 
when you're when you're on a platform like a podcast, one of the things that you are doing is um, bringing new voices to your listeners, right? So voices that they might not be encountering before. And so thinking really broadly about who those voices are, what kinds of identities they inhabit, what kinds of topics they might be able to bring up um, is really important. And at the same time, I think you can also do some work. Um, I'm not, I'm using the sort of universal you of podcasters, sure. <laughs> platform holders in general. Um, one of the things that I would really like to see is to see a little bit more uh, discussion of identity when it comes to interviews with folks who hold what is kind of considered the normative identity in the sewing community. So when you're talking to um, folks who kind of inhabit that place that's usually... Um, uh, white cisgender women in our like 30s and 40s. Like when you're when you're talking to folks who That's inhabit us. that identity, I know. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like so, so also talk to those guests about their identities. Talk to each other about your identities. Things like that, so that it's not just queer folks or fat folks or people of color who are doing that work of talking about what it means to have to. Um, uh, grapple with the intersection of identity in this world because you also do it. You just might not do it in the same ways we do, or you might not be thinking about it as kind of an ever-present thing in the same ways yeah. we might. That's our privilege is that it isn't an ever-present struggle, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that means that, so we don't have one, a person on the podcast that's a representative of a certain identity is what you're saying. Like everyone, we can have that discussion with everyone that comes on, on the podcast. And, and we, we do talk about it together. Actually, Lori and I, um, that's a, a, yeah. a thought process that we go through and we talk together about it. Um, but we don't put that on the podcast, I guess that's a, that's a yeah. conversation yeah. that we kind of have, um, privately. So that would be a good one to have. We should, we should do that. Cause I, I like that idea. Like, it does put people on the spot. Oh, okay. Well, now we have, um, now we have Shannon, and we're going to talk about. I mean, your article was so good, we had to dive into it, obviously. Yeah. But it, it it puts you on the spot, and that's a, that's a really good point. That um, it's not your job. <laughs> Basically, yeah. it's just not yeah. your job. It's everyone's job to look at that. Exactly. Exactly. I think that um, having like uh, multiple different queer guests who all get to talk about different things is yeah. like a great way of approaching that. And I myself, because I like run so queer and because I write posts like that, I'm like, yes, this is a thing that I am interested in talking about, obviously. But also like I love the opportunities to just also do the kinds of conversations that other guests get to have where I'm talking about like, oh, yeah, that dress that I made that I really enjoyed or the photographic process or what have you. Like I also enjoy doing that kind of talking. And so um, allowing your guests to uh, have conversations that encompass multitudes, that encompass all of the things they are is a great way of going about it. Yeah. Thank you for that advice. That's really insightful. And yeah. I really, really appreciate it. I feel like Helena and I try to, we have conversations about ensuring the diversity of our guests. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're right, we don't always kind of ask guests to delve into identities and, and presentation of identities and things. So that, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, Let's get back to sewing. Okay, I know. <laughs> Hi, like we, we, I don't want to keep you for too much longer. I mean, I could talk to you forever, I feel like. Um, but um, maybe we'll just end off with a couple of questions about what your favorite thing you ever sewed is. That's a tough one. I know if someone asked me that. But is there something that stands out in your mind as sort of a moment in time when you thought, I can do this, or you felt so great in an outfit? I mean, you probably feel great in all the outfits you sew because they look terrific and they're gorgeous, but anything jump to mind? 
I mean, I don't feel great at all my outfits because I do screw up frequently. So. <laughs> yeah, as we all we know, we do. see them. We We're not do. always on the blog, but <laughs> right. We need a spectacular blog, uh, spectacular fail uh, feed or something. That would be fun. Oh my gosh, yeah. that would be such a cute. Yeah, that would be great. Actually, I'm on board with that. Um, I've been trying to talk about my failures more lately. Actually, that is something that's like a goal of mine is to talk more about like the times when I. Um, made an adjustment and then like tried on the muslin and was like oh no what was I thinking like this is terrible Mm, or like finished a project and was like oh no I hate this I'm never gonna wear this because those happen so yeah oh um, yeah that doesn't answer your question though that's the exact opposite (laughs) of what you asked (laughs) um I think um one thing that comes to mind is uh something I was thinking about recently which were the first two projects that I made when I kind of jumped back into sewing um uh five years ago now, I guess, because I had learned to sew when I was younger. I had sewn, my mom taught me, I had sewn some as like a preteen and a teenager and a little bit kind of here and there after that, but not anything where I like sat down and kind of took it seriously. And when I um, came to grad school, my first, uh, my first semester of grad school, when I, I hit Thanksgiving break and I was like, my brain is so tired. I need to do something else with it. I need to try and exercise some of those other muscles. And I was like, oh yeah, sewing. I've got the sewing machine. Um, I've got fabric. I, I had all the stuff. So I um, made a beautiful circle skirt out of this wool tartan that I had somehow gotten like many yards of this like beautiful wool tartan um, for like $8 a yard. What? Like that. I know <laughs> it was ridiculous. I got like eight yards of it. Um, and I sat down and I made this circle skirt And it has like a beautiful button placket in the back with these little like military inspired buttons and it's lined. And if you look at the inside, the lining is like awful. Like it's so, so poorly sewn because I was still not very good at like working with slippery fabrics, but I love that skirt and I still wear the skirt. It's still, it's still one of my favorite things I've made because it's just beautiful fabric. And it was such a good way to kind of um, reinvigorate this practice for me and to kind of um, it kind of helped me recognize that this is something I really enjoyed doing, but that it was also something that I could learn and grow and I could kind of develop my skills. And, um, when I was struggling with that lining, I was like, I want to give up, but also like, I know I'll wear this. I know I'll really like it. You won't be able to see the lining, so it doesn't matter. And also the more I do this, the better I'll get at it. And so, um, I recently, um, took apart the second project that I made, which was a a little shift dress that I made right after that skirt. I took the lining out and replaced it so that I could wear it because it was unwearable, basically. And as I was sort of unpicking all those stitches, I was recognizing the ways that um, I had like improvised in different places. I didn't really know how to understitch. So I had just top stitched around the neckline and I didn't really know how to insert a zipper. So I just kind of like made it up as I was going along. And I was recognizing all those places where I improvised that I now kind of know a better way of doing it. And, um, and was recognizing that growth in myself. And I think that, um, that moment of going back to a garment that I wanted to be able to wear again and recognizing that I could kind of, I had done some things really well, but I could improve some things was a really affirming practice. It was a really affirming like moment of being like, oh yeah, no, I've improved at this. I've learned, I've, um, developed my skills. And also like, I've recognized the places where, uh, it's okay to fudge a little bit and it's okay 
And I don't mind if I fudge or if I change this thing a little bit and that's going to be just fine. And I'm still going to have a wearable garment. Like I, I, it was a moment of recognizing the knowledge that I've gained and that was really great. Yeah. I, I think everyone who sews can, can recognize that same thought process in, in themselves in the moment when you realize the challenges are all worthwhile and the failures are all worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And, and also that idea you were talking about, you know, uh, being overwhelmed by grad school and just going to the sewing machine. I find sewing to be such a... Uh, an outlet from so many other aspects of life that overwhelm you. It's the, it's the kind of, for me, it's the space in between. It's, it's the, uh, the place where I can just get in the flow of sewing and either not think about anything else, uh, which sometimes you need the break, or it's the moment when your brain is kind of almost subconsciously churning over all of those problems in the rest mm-hmm. of your life, whether it's at work or you're with your family or whatever it is. And, you know, while you're creating in the act of creation, you kind of, your brain also creates some possible solutions to that. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's something about the like working out the puzzle of how pattern pieces fit together or how I need to do a particular alteration or what have you. Because I'm making my brain work, uh it's continues. Like it that that process of just like working out problems continues and I start to work out other problems in my writing or uh, you know, on my dissertation, um, and all the other spaces where I need to also be doing some some hard brain work. It it disseminates. Yeah. 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 Well, I feel like we need to let Helena go get a nap. <laughs> to put my zipper in, you guys. Oh, oh no. Myself. I still have to put my zipper in. Will you tell us a little bit about what you're making for the... So this is the final round of the pattern review sewing bee, and you've been up all night sewing, and the deadline is, what, 12 hours away? Even less now. Oh, 11 hours away now. 11 uh, hours? Okay. Yeah, uh, I am. The theme is superheroes, and I made just a plain black sheath dress. It fits me really well because this um, it's like a simplicity pattern. It's a jiffy pattern. It's a pretty easy pattern, but it has this. I don't know if it's a French dart um, exactly. It's a dart that goes underneath the bust and into the waistline, and then mm-hmm. um, terminates in the side seam. And mm-hmm. it just gives such a nice shape. And the back actually has the fisheye darts. and But no one's going to see the back because there's an attached cape on it. Mm-hmm. So, and then um, it's all black, except there's a surprise inside the cape. Okay. So You're that's what I was working. that close to your chest until the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a few more hours. <laughs> I'm have to get some pictures posted here, or else I'm gonna. That's what oh. I was working on so long last night, and there's these hours in the middle of the night where you're like, I'm not doing my best work, right? Like, should I just go to bed? And because it's, I'm not getting as much. Like these three hours in the middle of the night are not getting three hours of actual good. Yeah. It's not very productive. Stuff. Yes, but then if I go to bed. I'm not going to be able to get up at five. Let me tell you, I wasn't going <laughs> to. So it was like all or nothing last night. So, but I have to um, sew my lining to my zipper still in hem. All right. Well, fingers crossed for you. Helena. And take and pictures. You- oh my gosh. You guys are going to laugh at my pictures with me <laughs> staying up all night. You're going to have a, what did we call them? Sewing bee bags? Bee bags yeah. under your eyes, yeah. right? Yeah. Some bee bags. Yeah. <laughs> Some bee bags. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you get back to that. Oh, and I should mention too that you won the last round of the sewing oh, bee with an yeah. incredible dress. Thank and you. I have to admit, I don't know if this is going to be. So the challenge was: here's a pattern. It was the Lillian dress pattern, and I'm going to apologize in advance because I looked at the Lillian dress pattern and I was like, oh, 
that's who wants to sew that? That's what I thought, right? I thought, no, no, oh, no. Yeah. And like then you took dress, it yeah. and you turned it into just an extraordinarily beautiful maxi dress with black and white print and beautiful Kelly green bias trim. And you must have sewed about 1,600 miles of bias binding on that. Don't don't ever make bias binding out of rayon, you guys. That was the worst idea I ever had in my life. But that fabric was so heavy. And if it had been out of like a regular cotton, it would have just been even heavier. And then it wouldn't have had the movement, you know. So I was kind of, and also I had that green. And I needed that green. You know, I have a considerable amount of fabric. I'll admit it. And <laughs> when I took all my fabrics out that I could pair this black and white so it could really be any color that I could do for the accent, uh, that green was the green it had to be. And what's funny about that is um, the very first sewing bee, the third round of the sewing bee, I also made a Kelly green and black and white dress. And it also won. <laughs> you know so the formula like now. Yeah, my lucky Your color lucky combination. Color. So I had to go. But I just love those colors together. I think it's just unexpected to put green with black and white instead of just like red or I almost did pink because I do love pink now. But yeah. yeah, it was it was um that was an adventure. So right. well, I have confidence in you, Helena. You're gonna win this round. So let's let, go for it. So okay. if you're listening to this, we recorded it just before all of this is being judged. So go have a look and see if. If she won. <laughs> yeah. And if Shannon, won, thank you so much for making time for us today. It's been a real pleasure yeah. to talk to you. And uh, could you just remind listeners where they can find you online? You've got a few different accounts and places where, where we can see you. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for having me first. Um, uh, you can find me at rare.device on Instagram. There's a period in between the words. Um, or at so queer S E W queer. Um, I run the so queer account on Instagram and mm -hmm. my blog is with a rare device, all one word dot wordpress.com. Right. And we didn't talk too much about the so queer account, but you, anyone who uses the hashtag so queer, you'll repost through that account. So if you follow that one account, there's quite a variety of, uh, of different sewers and makers doing their thing there. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Shannon, and uh, and good good luck, Elena. Great to talk to you both today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. Pleasure. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clothes Making Mavens podcast. For more information and more episodes, visit clothesmakingmavens.com. We would love to hear from you. You'll find options for sending us an email, leaving a comment, or even a voicemail on clothesmakingmavens.com. Hope to hear from you soon, and thanks for listening. Thanks.